I'm glad you tuned in this morning. And I'm pretty sure that if you've lived on planet Earth over the last few weeks, you would have realized that there is something stirring again that has a global impact. Apart from the challenge of the coronavirus and everything that has been happening since its arrival on the different shores of all those of us around the world, the racial tensions in the United States are stirring all of us up. And it's a real challenge for every single one of us to engage with something that is happening in our world. Somebody might say, Christy, why are you speaking this morning about the challenge of racism? Because this is what I want to speak about. When really, it is something that is happening quite a distance away on a different shore in the United States. I remember the words of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. who said this, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. These are some of the words in his letters from a Birmingham jail. Somebody else might say, okay, I get it. Racism is something that is actually affecting all of us. But I am not a racist. So why are we talking about this? Let me tell you a story. In my time, when I was in studying in Birmingham, on one occasion, I was robbed. Well, technically, I wasn't robbed. My wallet was taken from me, but there was nothing in it, really. I was a student, after all, by a guy who brandished a knife at me. The incident happened, and it kind of went by. But something strange happened to me or at least something strange was revealed to me. For weeks afterwards, every single time I saw a group of black men approaching me, I had a, an urge to run, a sense of fear that was overcoming me. I didn't have the same sensation if it would have been five Asian guys or five white guys. It just simply happened to be like that. Do you know why? Because somewhere deep down, there was a fear. And maybe it was illustrating the illogical fact that it was just somebody's skin color that was making me react like that. Can I dare say to us that probably every single one of us is struggling with an issue with regards to racism, bigger or smaller, sometimes acknowledged, sometimes not. But I think we need to talk about this. The comedian Daryl O'Brien wrote on Twitter just this week. These are his words. Just found out that George Floyd was originally stopped by the police because he handed over a counterfeit note in a shop. I did that once. They handed me back the note as a souvenir and later I told the story on stage in a comedy routine. That's white privilege right there. And this is why we need to talk about this, because people are being treated differently on different issues, simply because of the color of their skin. And this is a big issue. I want to speak to us this morning with the greatest of humility 
and with the gentleness that I can muster, not getting on a high horse, but just simply inviting us in a journey of trying to discover what the scriptures have to say about this subject and why a Christian can't and should not be a racist. Let me start right at the very beginning, at the creation of the world, in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. I can't be a racist and a Christian because God created us all in his image. Our creator is one. Whatever the tones and the shades of our skin, we as human beings are created in the image of God. And we share that common ancestry. We share that common sense of the fact that God, our creator, the God that I worship, the God that I acknowledge and admire for his beautiful creation has created me as well as my brothers and sisters who are coming from a different part of the world, having a different color of skin. We are all the children of God created in the image of God. Every single time I'm displaying any sign of hatred and demeaning somebody has a different tone of skin than mine. I am not acknowledging that they, like me, are created in the image of God. I cannot be a racist because our creator is one. I cannot be a racist because as a follower of Jesus, my theology is love. Listen to these words from Jesus himself in John 13, verse 34. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. This is not a suggestion. This is not a, an optional extra for those who are followers of Jesus. This is a command and it has the strength of a military order that is given to a soldier by his superior. Jesus would say to those who are his followers, I am commanding you to love one another. This is not optional. This is compulsory. And the level to which we are called to love one another, he says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Do you want me to tell you how Jesus loved me? I'll tell you. I was not lovable. I was not interested in God. I was not interested in what he did for me. Yet he went and gave his life on the cross. Who was I to him? An enemy. And yet he gave his life for me. That's the caliber and quality of love that Jesus has for me and displayed for me. And you know what? It's not just once in a lifetime, but every day I'm experiencing through what I I call his grace, his undeserved favor. Every single day I screw up and, 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 and insult him 
and do things that don't please him. Yet every day he forgives me because he loves me. That's the quality of love that Jesus gives me. And he's saying here, as I have loved you, love one another. In other words, you got to go the extra mile. You don't just do it for the people that deserve it. Jesus is commanding us to love one another. The Apostle John, one of the followers of Jesus, writes in one of his letters in 1 John chapter 4, verse 21. And he, that's Jesus, has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. What John is doing here, he is building on the command that Jesus gives that we should love one another. And he's saying, if you really want to understand the Christian theology, you would understand that there is a real correlation a real connection between the horizontal and the vertical. And John is saying, you cannot say in all integrity that you love God and then you hate others. If you love God, if you truly understand the love of God and what he's done for you, you cannot but be overcome with love, that love, filled with that love, and you will love those around you. Therefore, it's very difficult for me to come to God and tell him that I love him while I am not loving or hating somebody else. That's right at the very heart of the Christian faith. Our theology is love. I cannot be a racist because our cause is justice. James one of the leaders in the early church writes probably one of the strongest, most in your face letters in the New Testament. He is very practical. He's somebody who would challenge the Christian when the Christian would talk theory and faith. He would say, show me your deeds, show me your lifestyle, show me how you live, show me how you treat other people so that I can understand what your faith is like. And he would say, at the heart of our theology is love, but he would challenge us and say, well, what does that look in real life, in day-to-day -day situations? And in James chapter two, verse one, he says, it's my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, you must not show favoritism. You must not show favoritism. In other words, if you truly understand who Jesus is, you don't treat people differently. And he is talking really in here in this context about the rich and the poor and the fact that sometimes in the church you're tempted to treat the rich with a preferential, um, in a preferential way and basically give them priority, get them to, to be on the front seats at the places of honor. And he's challenging that and he's saying, don't do that. Don't discriminate somebody just simply because they are poorer and be a hypocrite. And he's saying, you can't do that. And extrapolating the same thing is true for us. We are called to treat people justly. The world is treating people unjustly. In the case that James is speaking, the world would say, we'll look after those who have the money because we have an interest. And James is saying, you can't do that. We are not like the world. 
We are the kingdom of God. We have a different mentality, a different way to live our life. And it's challenging that sense of injustice where somebody poorer is being treated worse than somebody richer. Again, picking up that idea, the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to the Philippians and he's talking really about, he's trying to encourage them about their own humility, servanthood and putting others first as a, in opposition to really putting themselves first. And he uses the example of telling them and reminding them of what Jesus did in what we celebrate at Christmas when he became a human being. God himself became a human being. He became what theologians refer to as incarnate. God took on flesh and became one of us. What if God was one of us? He was. He, he, he was born and, and he lived his life amongst us. And giving, reminding them of that fact, he's continuing in Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. And he says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking for your own interest, but each of you for the interest of others. The same thing is right at the very heart of the Christian faith. There is a real drive not to put the number one on the pedestal and look just after my own interest, but begin to look at the interest of others. That's what Jesus did. That's what his followers are called to do, to put away selfish ambition and vain conceit and in humility, valuing other people above ourselves. Not looking to our own interest, but looking for the benefit of others. Justice is our cause. Why am I not a racist? Because the message of Jesus that we often call in, in Christianese amongst Christians in the church, we call it the good news. That's, that's what the, the, the early believers called the message of Jesus, the good news that Jesus came to save us from our sins and bring fullness to our life and give us forgiveness and freedom and a sense of purpose. Well, this message is an inclusive message. When Jesus was talking to the disciples just before he ascended into heaven, he gave them a command and he says, therefore go to all nations and make disciples of all nations. Go into the whole world and make disciples of all nations. Matthew 28, verse 19. Therefore, the message that Jesus had was never exclusive, was never just for one national identity or one religious group or one ethnic group. The message that Jesus brought into this world, the good news of salvation was for all. And for once, barriers are beginning to come down. This is really seen in Acts chapter 10, verses 34 and 35, where the Apostle Peter, who was one of the most significant leaders in the early church, who until then, although he heard this message that Jesus gave him and the command that he gave him to go into the whole world and make disciples of all nations, he probably still thought this is a message for Jewish expats who have an understanding of the Old Testament. 
And yet God reveals himself supernaturally and he makes him realize that this message isn't just for Jewish people, but for Gentiles as well. So the racial division between Jews and Gentiles is going. And the good news of Jesus is truly becoming one for anyone and everyone everywhere. These are his words. Peter began to speak and he said, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. God does not show favoritism. This message is inclusive of everyone. Again, in Galatians, the Apostle Paul, Galatians 3.28, he says this. In Christ, there is neither Jew or Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor the male or female, for we are all one in Christ. The walls are falling down because this message is about those walls falling down between those from different ethnic and national backgrounds, between genders, between social statuses. This is the good news. And it's an all-inclusive message that comes to people. Let me give you a final reason why I can't be a racist and why a true Christian will always fight racism. Our home, the destination, the ultimate destination, heaven, is a place of diversity. There is a glimpse that Apostle John gets in Revelation, in the final book of the Bible. It's like a vision of the future. It's like a flash forward, if you want, in which he has a glimpse of what heaven will be like. People often ask this question, what, is, what will heaven be like? And there are some glimpses in the book of Revelation that will give us hints. And of course, it's apocalyptic language and it's a particular literary style. But there's something in there that anyone can grasp. See what a, you can get a hint of what heaven will be like. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After this, John is saying, I looked and there before me was this great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language. And they were all standing before the Lamb. That is the figurative language for Jesus. They were wearing white robes and they were holding palm branches in their hands. Did you hear that? A great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language. That's the picture. You know how very often travel agents will try to show you and in the olden days it would have been a catalogue with the pictures. Nowadays probably they can show you a clip of the place you could go on holiday. Well, this is that preview. This is the brochure that's selling you and telling you what heaven's gonna be like. And let me state it as strongly as I can. It will not be monocolored. It will not just have one language. It will be this beautiful place where people 
from every nation, every tribe and every language will stand before Jesus being together. That's our hope. That's our destination. I am preparing myself for that place. That's why I love all those people that are going to be there with me. My brothers and sisters created in the image of God. Those are the reasons that make me convinced beyond belief that you cannot be a follower of Jesus and be a racist, but it doesn't stop there. You cannot be a follower of Jesus and not fight racism with everything within you. It's because we're creating in the image of God. It's because love is our theology. It's because we are made for justice. It's because our message is for everyone. It's because at the place that I call my ultimate home in heaven, I will be together with others that I want to love while I'm here on earth before I get there. That's the great invitation. And you know, I think I have a great role to play in the midst of everything that's happening right now. And if I really believe this theology, and if I really believe what the word of God is teaching me, I've got to live it out. That's my challenge. I love what N.T. Wright wrote in the challenge of Jesus, rediscovering who Jesus was and who Jesus is. He wrote these things about my calling as a Christian, as a representative of Jesus, as a follower of Jesus, as a man of the kingdom of God. This is what he says. Our task as image-bearing, God-loving, Christ-shaped, spirit-filled Christians, following Christ and shaping our world, is to announce redemption to a world that has discovered its fallenness, to announce healing to a world that has discovered its brokenness, to proclaim love and trust to a world that knows only exploitation, fear, and suspicion. The gospel of Jesus points us and indeed urges us to be at the leading edge of the whole culture, articulating in story and music and art and philosophy and education and poetry and politics and theology and even help us biblical studies. A worldview that will amount the historically rooted Christian challenge to both modernity and postmodernity, leading the way with joy and humor and gentleness and good judgment and true wisdom. I believe if we face the question, if not now, then when, if we are grasped by the vision, we may also hear the question, if not us, then who? And if the gospel of Jesus is not the key to this challenge and task, then what is it? I am called as a follower of Jesus, the believer in a different kingdom, to be an agent of transformation. So what are we going to do about it? Humbly, let me suggest a few practical things as we wrap this up. First of all, let me say with all my heart 
to maybe some of you who would be saying, this is a political issue. I would say you're probably right. It is political, but it is a spiritual issue. It has social elements to it. It has political elements to it. It has economical elements to it. But it's a spiritual issue too. And I'm passionate about spiritual issues. And because I'm a spirit-filled person, I want to engage with those issues. What can I do? I'll tell you what I can do. I don't want to preach at you. I will tell you what I would do. And maybe I'm inviting you to explore some of those things. The beginning is for me to actually acknowledge my sin, both present and past, in ways in which I have been a racist. Maybe I laughed at that racist jokes about the Chinese person. Maybe I took part in the stereotyping of a black person. Maybe I put on that accent where I'm mimicking an Asian person. Let's admit it. Let's not make excuses. Let's think about whether that's actually the right thing to do. People would say that's political correctness. No, that is not political correctness. That is being a loving person like Jesus was. I'll tell you what else I'll do. I will constantly try to get out of any echo chamber and try to engage, try to sit and listen and learn from my black brothers and sisters. I want to hear their story without interruption, without buts and ifs. I want to read what is written that will challenge my mindset. I want to watch things that will really make me realize that this is my world too. Some people might say, well, where do I start? Just listen to the TED Talks from Brian Stevenson. Read or watch Just Mercy, just as a primer, just as a beginning. And I'm sure you can build a lot more on that. If you're on social media, follow people who speak into those things, who can bring a sense of education and learning. What else will I do? This is my principle in life. I will do for one what I can't do for all. Maybe there are people who need to be engaged with and reassured. Maybe there are people that I need to speak on behalf of. Maybe there are people that I need to learn from. Just choose the one and engage with that. While you can't change the whole world, you can make a difference for one person. What else will I do? I will speak reassurance for all those who are fearful, publicly and personally. I will do that both as a person and also as a leader, as a local leader and a church leader. I will speak out against any injustice and speak reassurance. I will champion opportunities every single time. I would always think this is not about positive discrimination. This is about making sure that the right people get the right opportunities and are able to fulfill their potential. What does that mean? I will challenge prejudice. You might find it uncomfortable if I'm the guy that spoils your joke, if I'm the guy that doesn't laugh at the inappropriate meme, if I'm the guy that blows the whistle on something that isn't right. Why? Not because I'm self-righteous. Because I'm a sinner 
just like other people, but I'm called to be different. I'm called to follow Jesus. What will I do? I will continue to fight racism without violence and vitriol. Obviously, I'm not going to go out and smash anything up. But we're all on social media. And while we might not smash anything up, we can be filled with vitriol. To our people that have a different opinion and express things differently than us, I am committed to always do this with a peaceful, godly, patient, humble and peaceful way. That's what I will do. That's just a starting point for me. Scotty Smith, pastor from the United States from Nashville, wrote these words. And then after I finish with these words, I'll finish with a prayer that he wrote. He said this, Jesus, show me in what ways I am prejudiced, not just opinionated, racist, not just proud of my heritage, a bigot, not just someone with convictions. Where do I anchor my identity more than my union with you, Jesus. And here is his prayer that he wrote some days ago. Lord Jesus, the murder of George Floyd breaks our hearts, fuels our disgust and intensifies our longing for your return. O oh Lord, set a fresh fire in our hearts for loving mercy, for doing justice, and for walking humbly with you into the systemic evil of racism and tribalism. How long, O oh Lord? We crave the day of consummate reconciliation and peace, that day with a capital D when Christ's supremacy will eradicate every resemblance of white supremacy, nationalism, racial profiling, ethnic cleansing, and skin color stereotyping. The only position jockeyed for will be falling down on our faces as we adore you, Jesus, and staying low to wash one another's feet. Finally and fully, we will love each other the way you love us, Jesus. Honoring one another above ourselves will be our first instinct and utter delight. Diversity won't be tolerated, but celebrated. We won't be colorblind. We will cherish each member of your every race, tribe, tongue, and nation bright. Jesus, help us today in light of that day. We know unhinged anger isn't the answer. We remember the day your disciples wanted to call down fire and destroy some of the Samaritans. You rebuked them, saying your kingdom is different. We also know silence, indifference and passivity are in the ways of your kingdom. Instead, Lord Jesus, we call down the fire of your spirit on our own hearts. You will triumph over all evil, triumph over our own hearts. As we look in the mirror of your word, show each of us where racism, tribalism and nationalism have a greater hold on us than we realize. Grant us grief and repentance over the ways we love poorly and contradict the gospel. So very amen, we pray 
with fresh conviction and humility in your peerless name. Amen.